1: Welcome to the Diversity Remix, Busting the Echo Chambers of Culture, Politics, and Business. I'm Charlie Echeverry. And I'm Jesus Chavez. This week on TDR, Michelle Tafoya's true colors, Biden's homelessness czar, and Carl Icahn saves the pigs. Did a recently retired sportcaster just display her true colors of racial insensitivity? Or did we witness a personal plea from a middle-of-the-road mom speaking truth to power? Is the Biden administration's new homelessness czar right about systemic racism as the root cause of homelessness? Or is his ideology leading to a strategy that's misguided and focused on solving the wrong things? And finally, did a multi-billionaire investor suddenly turn over a new leaf with his outspoken criticism of animal welfare in the food industry? Or is his complaint simply a stratagem in a broader plan to make more money? This and more this week on TDR. Episode what? Seventy six. Seventy six. The big seventy six. Beautiful. Spirit of seventy six. It's beautiful. Do you ever do you ever uh, go to that museum in DC? Isn't it in DC where they have like the actual Spirit of seventy six, the the plane that uh, is it Charles Lindbergh? Who
2: who's the guy who flew? oh man is this the first flight is that you're referring to or which is the spirit i feel like this sounds familiar but honestly i I, is not i feel like the spirit of
1: 76 is the is the flight is the plane that lindbergh used to cross the atlantic oh okay that one
2: yeah um what was the name of the woman that did the the amelia Earhart? amelia Earhart. that's right yeah
1: spirit of 76 no clue this is not not a good start to our show but oh well, history history aside, how are you, my friend? Uh I am. Uh, I'm good. Good to see you. So you didn't start any other companies? Not in the uh, last. Not in the last ten not, minutes. Not in the
2: last ten minutes. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see before this this call is over. That's good. That's good. That's hilarious. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. I was uh, having this conversation the other day with um. So my my daughter had a, a birthday party. Uh huh. Right? Um, right. This weekend. This yeah, weekend, yeah. This weekend, and it mm-hmm. was a. Uh, one of the girls that she's in uh, gymnastics with. So I was talking to one of the other dads. And the other dads, he's older, older guy, retired. So he like finds learned to me. He's like, you know, I I don't think I've ever asked you, what do you do? And, like, and I, I I that's do that, such a great question. That long how pause. How much time do you have? <laughs> exactly. How much time do you have? It depends. Uh, and that's not kinda of all the things that I do. And he's looking at me like, Oh man, like you're pretty busy. Or like, yeah, I'm like, yeah, I guess so. Um you say, but I told him I was actually like talking to him and a couple of other people that were there. It was interesting, by the way, the dynamics is like this guy he was, you know, born and raised here in L.A. Oh, no, born in Santa Barbara, then raised here in L.A. His wife is Chinese, mm-hmm. right? Like, born and raised in China. Mm-hmm. Then there was another couple that was there at the table that are British. Uh, the guy is, like, half Chinese. Like, I guess his mom was Chinese. His dad was British, Right. Um, and then the party was basically Russian party because one of the Whoa. girls. So like United half the, Nations. it. was totally it's United good Nations. Good food, whatever. Yeah, What's going on, hopefully <laughs> it was a uh, total United Nations. But but I was I was sharing with them like you know it's interesting when when I, when I, I get asked whether I'm busy or not, and I said look I think it's a very much is a cultural thing that like we're just raised not to complain. Like there is mm-hmm. a very famous saying that my dad used to always tell us right, and this is really really meant for people that. Immigrated from, you know, especially from like South America or Mexico into the US, which is whenever someone wants to complain about working too hard or being too busy, the the response of that person is like, querias Norte. You, know, you wanted north. Well, if you wanted north, then like shut the hell up. Like, get he has norte, I'm not familiar with that. Yeah, right. so querías norte means like, well, you wanted to yeah, come you north. Want it north. Oh, you wanted north. You wanted north. Well, then now deal with it. Oh, now I get it. So in right? no, other words, you asked, you made your bed it. basically. It's, it's, yeah. it's the equivalent of that, right? So that 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 sentiment, that comment got ingrained in me as uh-huh. a little kid. I've never forgot it. And it's not like my dad ever told me that, like to be like a jerk. I mean, he would never tell me that, but it was like a thing he would say. Right. And I think a lot of people would say, frankly, uh, and it, it is a kind of speaks to that kind of mindset of, of you know, this is what you wanted. All right. Let's all right, go. buddy. Buckle up. Yeah. You, reminded me, me.
1: you reminded me of another good one the other day when you said, uh, ¿Qué va a decir la gente? Like, ¿Qué va decir know, la gente? Yeah, What, what people will people say? say? And it's, but, so, it's so amazing, right? But it communicates so much more than the words, right? Because what it will is. people say? It actually, what it, the connotation is represent. Like, that's really the connotation. Right, isn't it? Right, you got to right. represent your clan, your crew, your family, your nation. Like, there's a whole bunch bottled up in that. But what yeah. it technically means is, what will people say? But it doesn't
2: communicate that. Right. And and it's – that sentiment, it gets expressed in a bunch of different ways, in different cultures, right? Like, one of my cousins uh, is married to a Filipino girl, right? Mm-hmm. A Filipino-American girl. And um, – their like whenever they have get-togethers, I love their get-togethers. Yeah, I told awesome. them this. Their food selection and quantity of food yeah, is
1: just it's off the hook, I mean, off the hook. Sure. And,
2: and one time, I finally asked them, "I'm like, dude, why do you guys have so much food all the time?" And he's like, "Ah, uh, my, my cousin was telling me, like, dude, like you have to like this That's is it's right. part of the tradition. Like, as a matter of fact, if you don't have enough, if for some reason you run out of food, it's like almost like a shame on the family. And you never know who's gonna show. And so it's you purposely get like a, an excessive amount of food. Just to show that there's you know plenty for everyone to eat, and that's the way people kind of express, right? But it is a little bit of that same kind of sentiment. What are people going to say?
1: My right? father, my father-in-law, um, kind of stepfather-in-law, but anyway, his wife is Filipino, mm-hmm. um, lovely lady, and every time that we go, forget about if we were going over and it's planned because right. there's definitely the table set. There's all kinds of dishes and everything, right, right. but it's even when we when I'm like there unannounced. Because <clears throat> you know he he he's a general contractor and he's always moving in and out, coming here doing projects, whatever. And so I'll stop over there, and every time there's there's cooking happening, there's right, like always right, right. food happening, and it's always like warm and delicious, and like there's always. Sure. So I I think a big part of that driver is also what you know, folks that may actually show up. So you got to always be prepared.
2: Yeah, and I I heard a similar commentary, but different in the in the case of uh, someone that I, that I know that is uh, Chinese, right? Chinese American. Um, and, but there the context was not so much About the quantity of food It was all about the presentation That it had to be like a really Like it almost How nice of a place you go to eat How nice the presentation is Matters more than even the like how good the food actually is. Hmm. It's about like the experience, the, the experience, yeah. right? And, and, and family and everything. Too, yeah, right family I mean, yeah. of course. But, but I'm saying like the it's, it's a different kind of kind of kind of setup. And I just thought that that was also you want to know the
1: you want to know the 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 Latino saying that I grew up with. Yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with this one, but I used to hear this one all the time from my mom in particular. This probably tells you a lot about me. Lo cortes, no quita lo valiente. Lo cortés no quita lo valiente. And so basically, I guess roughly translated, it would mean like being courteous doesn't mean you're a coward is kind of what it, what it means, right? So like mm. you have to like – you got that person in the room who kind of doesn't like you. You kind of don't like them. But like being polite and courteous doesn't mean that you're like afraid of them or anything else like that. It's just the right thing to do. Oh, that's right? Kind
2: of basically having good manners no matter what the situation. Having good manners oh, no matter what the situation is. And it's, it, it, it does communicate
1: a lot certainly about her and my upbringing. But there was a lot of like emphasis around – modales, you know, and like sure. you have to do the right thing and there's an etiquette and there's a priority. Is, and Is
2: that like, a is that a Colombian thing, Charlie? Is that your prob- family thing? It might
1: be. It might be a Colombian thing. I've said it before. Like I said it to people we've worked with who, are, who have Mexican backgrounds and some people recognize it, but it might be just a more Colombian thing.
2: Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. No, I, never, I don't think I've ever heard that before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's, there's a thing about being polite, I guess, maybe share sentiment, but I don't think it, I don't remember ever hearing it as a kind of a driver of how to think about it.
1: I think it's a little bit of an extension of Calladita TV's Más Bonita, whatever. Uh, like, it's like yeah, you yeah. know, kind of like kids should be seen, not heard kind of deal. There's a right, little bit of that right. kind of vibe yeah, to it, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but our show today, sadly, is not about, uh, you know, Hispanic uh, sayings and culture, connotations, closer nuance. Although you know, I, I was thinking like we haven't ripped at all on Ukraine. We haven't talked at all about yeah. about that situation because that's, I mean, it's obviously real time. But there's a lot yeah, of stuff going on. Yeah, I was over listening
2: there. to that this morning. Um, on Before way. we get to Courage Cringe, yeah, I'm just saying, yeah, 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 it's it's a really interesting situation, obviously. Um, you know there's all of the kind of double speak that is happening with um you know president and uh, uh Vladimir Putin saying oh yeah we're removing some troops and at the same time more action is happening this whole idea about right. the separatist uh, part of Ukraine that they have now officially recognized as a sovereign nation as a sovereign nation and therefore of, are sending peacekeepers to help them. How much strategies involved here though in your mind? Like I'm saying,
1: it, it, like everything to me, it's like once you get to a 3D chess kind of level, it's so yeah. hard to it, it's hard not to get conspiratorial in a way because anything is possible.
2: It, it's all conspiratorial. I think, think at some
1: point, yeah. Think about the idea of like, well, if I want this country you can do kind of battle from outside in other words i come in to your country and take it over right. or you can disassemble it from the outside without even going in right and this of is this could be
2: part of that 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 all and and both of those happen all the time i mean the the, the reality you know supporting the separatist groups um, that happens across the across the globe, multiple instances. I mean, let's be honest, the U.S. has done that in supporting True. other like separatist groups to try to overthrow that like governments in Latin
1: America all the time.
2: All the time, mm-hmm. right? So that is definitely a strategy. Uh, this whole posturing kind of thing is really really interesting. Um, I will even say, frankly, even th- I wanted to bring this up, but I don't know any of the folks that are that are from my sis from my daughter's school well enough to ask the kind of question because there's there's both Ukrainian folks there and also Russian people there. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what the, like, I would love to have this conversation with someone that is Ukrainian and a Russian to see what is, what is their POV on this? How yeah. do they view it, right? Yeah. And they may have a different, very different perspective being here. I almost kind of put it in, the in if I was equated to Latino experience, it would be like speaking to Cuban-Americans versus folks that are born and raised Cuban-Americans versus those that maybe immigrated from Cuba. And, and depending on when they did, you know, how they feel about it. Yeah. But I would love to have this conversation. Like, how does, they, how does their point of view... Reflect what's being reported in the media, even when you know you and I talk about religious, um, you know, pieces that get get covered. You know, I know you get like you want to pull your hair out, whatever. I'll say like, there's so much of this that gets said wrongly, that gets covered incorrectly. So much nuance that gets missed, and I just don't know. I don't yeah, know if true. if if we're in that kind of scenario or not. And it, it, you know, it's it's tough to to give frankly for me too much credit to either side because i feel like there's a little bit of underhanded chess playing to your point that 3d chess playing that's going on uh, across the board but um i mean what is sad is at the end of the day the people that suffer is the ukrainian people sure you know because no matter who wins or who loses still real people die in the process what would you what what's what's your kind of like political strategy
1: take based on you know the way that you view the world so there, there seems to be a couple of approaches right biden has been Unless he's playing the 3D chess too, which he may be. But he's been like, here's what's happening. We have the intelligence. Look at the radar pictures. They're lying. They're doing misinformation. In fact, they may do a false flag operation to make it seem like they have a reason to go in. Like, it seems on and the th- surface... That's what they already accused them of right now. Right. right. But it seems um, like uh-huh. it's, it's open kimono. It seems like, I'm going to tell you everything that we know. Right. Where another approach would be like... We're not telling you anything. In other words, we're not publicly saying anything because it disadvantages us tr- strategically. If we say what we're thinking, or like, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, like well, what's I think, your?
2: I think the strategy, though, in this case, being open, Kamono, to your to using your phrase, I think makes a lot of sense. If you're not looking to actually engage in war, but really use it also as justification for blockades, for financial Sanctions. burdens that you can put on that on that country. So basically, by the time you pull the trigger on that, everyone like, yeah, you're right. I can see why they, and you have the support of the nation and of the UN, of the sort of the, um, all the other nations, right, in doing that. So I, from that perspective, if that's your your goal, I think that makes a lot of sense. What it does, what I don't think it makes as much sense is if you're displaying all this information, and you're trying to use that information in terms of your actual battle plan, battle plan attack, yeah. whatever may be the case. Yeah. I think there, I don't, I don't know how that will be beneficial. But and that Biden was, has been pretty consistent in saying that he does not want to. Engage in actual like war or well, yeah, it'd be I mean, very dangerous, obviously, very dangerous. They have
1: more nuclear missiles than anybody in the world, Russia does, believe yeah, it or
2: not. Yeah, I, I think it's that, and I also think that Biden's in a position where he just doesn't want to get us into another war right now because part of his platform was about getting us out of out you know, of, wars. Out, out of wa- wars, out of wars, out yeah, of wars. Yeah, in that you know, sense, I, agree so, with I Trump so I or, get it, right? Yeah, yeah, you're right. He's like continuing that and then blame them for the t- whatever, right? Yeah. there's so much to <clears so> there, <throat> but but I think that's why I think it actually, I get that point and it kind of makes sense. It is so interesting though. They, I mean, look, we're getting also filtered information, but they look like they're more right than wrong. And in the sense, of saying like, hey, this guy is saying he's pulling back. They don't believe it. They're, they're looking to go back. And then two days later, we're like, oh, yeah, we had this, this stuff happen right here. Right. Let's send peacekeepers to to the country. Oh, right. that's, that's kind of true. Was it two what, days ago that you were what, saying that you were moving everything well, I gonna, away? I was going to say, what, what, you, why didn't the peacekeepers need to be there before? You know what I'm saying? Exactly. It's like, it's it's like, like we so discovered this seem, need. I mean, once again— I don't I don't take it for granted we may be getting a very filtered view of it potentially but yeah. it does seem like it is they're that they're not entirely wrong in their position of of what like what they believe their real intentions are from from uh from Putin and and what they're looking to do in terms of trying to take over um you know uh ukraine
1: the interesting thing also is the dynamics of what a potential what potential warfare could look like in 2022 versus what it may have looked at in a more conventional period of time my son my old my uh i have two boys still living at home and and the one that's 19 who has a tendency to kind of over overthink things mm-hmm. my son darian um you know he recently asked me he's like well you know how how concerned should i be about this in terms of this potential invasion, and if we get involved in it and we get, you know, sucked in. Right. <clears throat> on some level, because like, hey, will I be drafted, right? There's like some sure, element of that. The, he's at the age of it. He's at yeah. the age. Yeah. And then the other question um, was, you know, what would it mean in terms of the actual warfare? And, and you know, I tried to answer his question thoughtfully because he's a kind of guy, he's like a fly on the edge of a trash can, like you got to pin him down for two seconds. But in this case, he <laughs> sat me down and wanted to talk. It was like, <laughs> oh. <"Whoa." the> description. <laughs> You've seen a fly that's, on the edge yeah, of the Yeah, no, I know
2: exactly what you're talking about. That's he's just buzzing, that's really buzzing, interesting. Buzzing, yeah, yeah. buzzing, buzzing,
1: <laughs> buzzing, But in this case, he actually sat me down. And he's like, Dad, I want to talk about this. And like he yeah. s- wanted to talk for 20 minutes. I was like, holy crap. So I actually like, did. That's good, thought, it's that great
2: that he engages you with that kind of something that's bothering him like I that. I thought you know? so,
1: and it was unusual. But anyway, I did some research on it. And, um, you know, this idea of, like, cyber warfare oh, yeah. and attacking, like, power grids and internet connectivity and the financial system, I mean – you're talking about things you don't even think about. It's like without even a bomb going off. Without even a bomb going off. It's like imagine, and I'm not trying to be sensational, but imagine, uh, you know, people in Los Angeles not having power for a month. Well, you like have, what's that going to do? I'm talking about no power, not oh, in hospitals, that, not in anywhere. Just that like is massive, yeah, yeah. It's and, destructive.
2: And it's, it's very destructive. And I think when you think about Russia's ability to create impact in the U.S., I think their ability to create impact is probably. Uh, the kind of ROI I would say between how much they get hurt in doing this versus them creating an impact is much high, higher uh, ROI for them creating impact by going after the systems, right? By going by by whether it's information, whether it's uh, is is infrastructure, then actually like uh, uh, directly dropping attacking, dropping bombs. I think there no one wins. Yeah, right. And the U.S. is also you know yeah pretty pretty armored in the sense that even if they were. Even if they create a lot of damage, I think Russia will come off on the on the on the wrong side of that. Yeah. And you know, I think but but look, you could even say, well, if you think about the last few years, maybe we haven't already been in this active conflict. Sure. Right? we you think about what's happened with the elections. Sure. Right? Um, they think about hacking on on like constantly, mm-hmm. they think getting hacked. Mm-hmm. Even look, even to a much lesser degree, what we were talking about a little bit in jest, but but but, uh, but what's happening in Canada, right? Cases were Foreign countries are supporting – maybe in this case – well, even if it's individuals, supporting causes, separatist groups, et cetera, that can create conflict and create issues for, for, for domestic governments. Like that's a real problem. Yeah.
1: Or at least it can be, for sure. Yeah, Although for the, sure. in the case of Canada, I think we agreed that maybe they, they went a little bit too far in their response. Well, but, yeah, how they respond is different, right? But yeah, i the, 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 the idea
2: of being able to support, say, hey, there's a little bit of a of a fire. Can we throw a little more wood in that?
1: Yeah, for sure. The other thing that cyber does is it affords you a much greater degree of plausible deniability. Because you can always yeah. say, I didn't do it. Right. That wasn't me. Some hackers. You see, you see what I'm saying? It's some group of people in Macedonia somewhere or whatever it is. So yeah. it's like you can keep this whole... Kind of PR thing going, but the damage is being done, and there's not somebody you can say, Oh, that's the bomber. I saw it drop that bomb, and therefore,
2: you know, right, 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 right. Yeah, I agree with you, and I think that's the really tricky thing about this the situation. I mean, it's, it's, um, I don't know, man. I, I, I don't know what your perspective is here, but I think it's going to be tough to not see this get more violent before it actually mm. eases up, that's including cool. us participating in it. You're saying uh not necessarily well listen if you believe what president biden continues to say that he does not want to get into war he seems to be pretty hung up on that not hung up but you know like like pretty like stern in that position so i don't think i see that going uh them going in but i i definitely think there's a, a very high possibility that russia just continues to push why wouldn't they do that at this point yeah. you know because what they're doing is they're basically poking the bear and see what happens Like, oh you didn't oh you need me a little bit of sanction because of that pfft Please, well,
1: the, bring the, sanctions. The president of uh, Ukraine is saying, like, well, you threaten these sanctions if they do it. Why not just put the sanctions on now? You know what I'm saying? Because the threat is there. It's like right. an, it's an interesting point in the sense that, look, you're saying these are all the reasons why they're going to invade. And you're further saying an invasion is imminent and definite. I mean, Biden last week said yeah. he's convinced this is going to happen. This is like... Well, then what are you waiting for? It's like by the time they invade, the damage has been done. Now, I know he's posturing too, but it's an interesting
2: point. Because I think part of the question for me would be is that, okay, so you put all these sanctions, and it's a major blow initially. But then that blow kind of passes over, and Russia's like, okay, we got it. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Green light. <laughs> See what I'm saying? I mean, that that is real. like. Yeah. It's a, it's a pretty big country. And as, and as much as they've had issues because of their so you know, you're saying, of government, et cetera, like the yeah. threat of something may happen and what may be the outcome may be higher deterrent than actually having the thing happen. And then like everything else, you adjust. Right. And we're like, okay, now I'm going to justify. See how they attacked us. See what they did to I us. I was going to say, in a Let's way, kind
1: of it's a weird, by preempting it, it's a weird wire that gets tripped by you. And sure. you actually are the one, or at least they could blame it on you. Of, like, of course, like, hey, look, right. And I this is an active sort of guys,
2: aggression. Yeah. <laughs> And that's what's been happening. I was, I was listening to an episode of The Daily today and they were talking about what's happening there in, in the Ukraine. And they were saying that these separatist groups keep on shelling the uh, Ukraine and, and these guys are not responding because they don't want to. Because the moment they respond, yeah. they know that's going to be the... Yeah, because you know, now the excuse, they're fighting with Russia. The now they're fighting for Russia. With Russia. Now we got the peacekeepers in there. It's a tricky situation, it's Super man. tricky, Holy
1: man. moly. Like, to be one of those dudes, I, I do not uh, envy anybody making those kind of decisions. As much
2: as I may disagree or agree, at the end of the day, I'm not sitting in that chair. And, and I was... Um, it's funny because I was speaking to one of the, one of the, I was just about to, I was just about to make the mistake calling one of the Russian moms. She's not, she's a Ukrainian. Mm-hmm. And I asked her, because oh, I thought she was Russian, um, and I asked her, oh, so is it, I was. I had, a, I had a dumb question. I was like, listen, is it in, in Russia, do they have like different dialects of Russian? Kind of similar here in the US with like different accents, different dialects. Sure. So, like, you know, and then she looks at me like, uh, He's like, well, no. I mean, people would kind of speak Russian, said, but I'm actually Ukrainian. Although you know, most of you Americans think we're all Russian. <laughs> oh wow! I'm <You> <laughs> like, look, you all look the same. Bird, yeah, and and like, wow. But she's right, right? Yeah. And in Ukraine, they speak Ukrainian, but but most of them also speak Russian, right? Sure. But but when she said to me, I, I did think about like, huh, that's such an interesting point. I think for America, we we probably view that whole group as kind of one, even though they're not. Yeah. And I don't know how many people – like right now, because of the news and everything, people see the differences. But but besides that, I don't know how many people know the difference or care that much. Yeah. What's the thing part of what you're seeing right now? I think that it also depends on how you define dialect. If you define dialect as literally other
1: words – other, you know, things like that, then probably not so much because that doesn't happen here. Right. People in New Orleans don't like use different words necessarily unless they're local. They speak English, but they speak yeah. it in a particular way. Right, and I think that applies. More like pretty... accents, and... exactly. Yeah, that yeah. applies almost to every
2: country. It's like even in that's Venezuela. what I thought. You yeah. know, and that's what I was asking the. I was just basically, frankly, just trying to make conversation with this lady.
1: So we're not going to solve the U- Ukraine conflict, is what you're telling me, Jesus. No, not, on this no, not on the show today. Not, not on the show. We'll be watching um, it though, because I think that there's a. Uh... Well, there's a ton going on it's, in the world. A lot,
2: yeah, a lot going on. You there. ever
1: sit and think, like last point, you ever, you ever sit and think of like the day in the... As busy as you and I are, right? And have been in our careers, right? Where you get up and you look at your calendar and you're exhausted, but without even starting, you're like, mm-hmm. I, I'm literally going to be booked from nine to whatever. Yeah. You ever think about like the president's job? You know what I'm saying? Like the, not uh, just the meat, yeah. not just the frequency, but the gravity of yeah. each of the things.
2: Well, and then the question there becomes, does that gravity get... um do you get used to it, right? Does it become the point where you're like the Ukraine situation is a political conversation only? Mm. See what I'm saying, like, and I'm not accusing Biden of anything. I'm simply saying anyone in that in that job, you do enough. Like when everything is at that level, you almost have to. I'm saying like, psychologically, level, like yeah. I, I don't know how you don't do at least some of that without you know because you're constantly dealing with, with life death situation with major political moves. Sure. things that have not only impact now but have impact for years to come I think it's something similar
1: to what happens with doctors in ER rooms it's like you have yeah. to have some element of disassociation because if you don't it's like dude you're right, gonna right. it's gonna eat you up yeah. and it does eat these guys up make, make no mistake I mean they look
2: a hell of a lot worse a, when they get Obama, out Obama man Obama after 8 years he he looked like he aged 20 he years he like he needed a walker when he got yeah, out yeah, yeah. And and then, George like, Bush too to, W you know, like 3 years later he looks
1: like way younger yeah he's fine <laughs> now he's doing his uh, Pilates, you know what I mean? Yeah. And drinking... Uh, you know, what? Well, good for you know, him. He, he earned it, you know, you know, you spent eight
2: years, you did the term,
1: that's, listen. That's
2: what Pilates
1: book deals and wheatgrass smoothies do. It's uh. like, you know, after a while, it brings you all back into center, <laughs> oh, that's, that's what happens. Uh, anyway, all right, my helps. friend, we've got a lot to talk about on Courage for Cringe, a amazing assortment of random stories from the world. Um, so let's get started.
2: Uh, yeah, let's get started. Courage or cringe? Michelle Tafoya finally free to speak her ugly truths By the way, I would say this. I was actually kind of enjoying um, prepping for this uh, for this episode because we had a couple of opinion pieces that we're using. This was actually an opinion piece um, that they, they wrote on this on this um, uh, for this topic, mm-hmm. and um, it's, it's always kind of interesting to try to dissect how people feel about an issue versus the issue itself. Yeah. Now, that and, was my reading. And, and it tip. was almost like when you're looking, like, okay, should we look at it as do it as a courage or cringe on the issue, or courage or cringe on the opinion on the issue? All right. So preview, I did it on the opinion of the issue. Yeah, me too. So yeah, okay, good. Okay. So that's the way because yeah. I, I feel like it was so much of, there was so much opinion baked into it sure. that you really had to do it. So yep. look, look. So Michelle Tofoya, the longtime silent reporter for the NFL, it's like 30 years or something crazy. Yeah, right? She's there for a very long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, retired from her sports broadcasting career after Super Bowl Sunday. And by Wednesday, she was already transitioning to her new role of conservative commentator and being interviewed by the Tur- in the Tucker Carlson show.
1: By the way, I know it's like it's cool that she her retirement was announced at the very end of the Super Bowl. That's cool, big platform. Yeah, but it was. Like four seconds, you know what I mean. Al Michaels going like, "We love you and see you later," you know what I mean. So it, was, it wasn't very ceremonious, but it was. It was. Uh, you know, it, funny. at least it happened. I
2: actually thought it was. I, I saw it the complete opposite way because I didn't realize there was a whole other like conservative thing that was happening. Mm-hmm. It was just I just knew that she was retired because I frankly was just watching the game. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool that they gave her the second I thought it was because cool this too. is like the biggest mm-hmm. platform. It's is the Super Bowl, right? She got to you know how many people end their career and never get any recognition. I'm, sure, like, more, hey, I'm sure more people at NBC left that week. Than the we contract know never yeah. got renewed, right? So the fact right. that she got that kind of the recognition, her ability to say, her bow out, yeah. You know? Yeah, all right. And, and also I think when you're a reporter, it's not about you. It's True. about the game. So, it shouldn't be. So it, it shouldn't be, right? So so I think that was... Yeah, so my, 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 my take was a little bit different, right? So this opinion piece on Yahoo Sports by Shalise Manza Young mm. got into the issue, right? Now here is how it described the contrast of Toffoli's political views Versus what was before her day-to-day job. So this is actually directly from the piece. So there's a feeling of repugnance seen to Foya's recent comments contrasted with the fact that for years she was smiling in the faces of black coaches and players to mind them for nuggets of information to make sure she looked good in her job. Wow. Like it, it, That's why these opinion pieces are awesome because we read them like wow, like totally unbiased. We'll, we'll get into the next one, which is a Foxy mm-hmm. one. So this we actually have a good balance. It's this both one. barrels. But it was hilarious when I when I read that. I'm yep. like, okay, Cool. So what are those accusations that that they're blaming her for, right? So a couple of things. One is in a recent interview with, in the Megan Kaylee uh, show. I think it's a podcast, maybe.
1: It is. She's was former, uh, former anchor for Fox
2: That's days. right. Yeah, 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 Who maybe most famously got um, uh, into beef with President Trump uh, for calling him out in, right. a, in one of the debates, right, right. for his treatment of women. Ones. And maybe in the first one, the first debate. And she went after, I mean, he went after her hard. Yeah. Uh, now, she talked about, this is uh, Michelle Tafoya, talked about Colin Kaepernick, making a business decision and protesting the extra extrajudicial killings of black citizens. Now, to this, she said, if he really, really wanted, if the one thing he wanted in this life was to be a starting quarterback in the NFL, he'd be one right now, given that he had the talent. But he had he made some business decisions. I think he knew what he was risking, and I think there are some legitimate complaints about race in the NFL and everywhere else in America, but that's not why Colin Kaepernick is not in the NFL. So she was making an appeal to his lack of athletic." prowess as
1: the reason why and business decisions. Like, you know, that's the controversy in this
2: statement. No, I I don't think it's a lack of athletic prowess because he's actually talking about that that he has a talent. So Mm -hmm. he will be a starting QB like right now. So I don't think it's anything to do with him being athletic or being able to be talented to play in the NFL. I mean, if I'm reading this exactly word for word of what she's saying – I don't see it as a diss on his athletic ability. I think what she's saying is that he's making a conscious business decision to no longer be a quarterback in the NFL. Got it. Okay. Right. And I think that's what people were like all up in arms sure. and say, wait a minute. Sure. Like, you know, sure. this guy's standing up for, for, you know, the rights of these, of these individuals. There's a lot
1: of this kind of like can't chew gum and walk at the same time kind of arguments, you know? Um, in fact, I know we're just talking about Ukraine and we're going to talk about Tucker Carlson in the next piece, but... You know, Tucker does this a lot with respect to Russia. He's like, you know, clearly Russia is not our number one geopolitical enemy. It's China, right? And and the idea that that might be true, let's say we agree with that, uh-huh. and I tend to agree with that, but that the fact that because of that, the fact that they're number one, we shouldn't worry about number seven or deal, with whatever number they're right. at, right, number three. But there's a lot of this kind of dichotomy right. argumentation around like, well, we can't do anything. Look at the border. We can't even discuss it until we shut everything off, right? It's like, well, okay, I get – we shouldn't have two million people in a year come across illegally. That's true, and that's what happened. But at the same time, it's
2: an unreasonable thing right. which basically just kicks the can on having any of the conversation. That's right. That's right. And I think that's what a lot of these things are. Look, to me, the big controversy here of what she's saying is is actually the last point that she just made, right, which is which is uh, basically saying that uh, because he made some business decision and he was he was risking, right – that uh, even though there is some legitimate complaints that he has about the NFL and maybe about race relations in general, her point that that is not the reason why he's not playing quarterback right now. Mm-hmm. And the issue that most people have is like, wait a minute, Colin Kaepernick feels like he got blackballed from the NFL because of the issue there. So she's directly going after that narrative, yeah. like, right? So that's, that was one. Yeah. The second thing was she actually recently, it was actually before she retired as a broadcaster, as a sports broadcaster, um, she was in a guest role in The View, right? Which is, you know, the Whoopi Gover show, etc. cetera. Uh, now, she spoke about her concerns. Ne- never a place for controversy either. Right. The we view. didn't even talk about Whoopi, but. But uh, it's called The View, not The Views, right? Right. right. So just keep that in mind. Uh, she spoke about her concerns that her children are being taught uh, uh, the skin, they're being taught that skin color matters. Mm-hmm. All right. She cited affinity groups for children of similar backgrounds and a picnic for families of color at the school. To this, she said, my son's first best friend was a little African-American boy. They were inseparable. Get to a certain age, and they start having what's called an affinity group, which means you go for lunch and pizza with people who look like you. At kids in school, there's a big, big focus on colors uh, of the color of your skin and my children. Uh, Why are we even teaching the color of skin matters? Because to me, what matters is your character and your values. I don't care if I'm attacked. I'm really not afraid of that. And I guess I feel like so many people now are afraid yeah, and I'm not, mm-hmm. right? Um, she also stated that th- that white people have been working since the Civil War to make sure that skin color didn't matter in this country. That's actually another comment that she made in that same yeah. kind of a, mm-hmm. uh, showing, right? Sure. Now, to Tafoya's point of view, I-, I thought well, maybe best characterize her position um, was the following statement that she made actually during the Tucker Carlson interview, mm-hmm. where she says, We are so looking in the rearview mirror. And not absorbing the progress that we've made in the country and building on it and recognize it. Yeah. So a lot of her position is like, let's not look backwards and look forward and kind of like that's right. her whole thing. Right. So Courage or Cringe, longtime reporter breaking away from her mainstream job to finally speak her truth. Or conservative journalists finally showing her true colors of biased perspectives. Yeah, it's super interesting.
1: I mean, I, I guess I'll start by saying that I've never actually been a fan of Michelle Tafoya. Oh, interesting. Why not? And I, I think it's a broader question of not but being— I've been a
2: big fan of hers. I've never—I always liked her. I, no, I, I've i never had any opinion of her in any way, but it always, like, you yeah, know, she, 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 she seemed <clears throat> good at her and
1: job. I, and I mean it in a, in a, in a literal sense. I've, I, I have no fandom for her, right? And frankly, but that's not just her. I, I, I don't have, like, a really—any um, kind of affinity to sideline reporters at all. Like, Mm -hmm. I I just don't. I don't know why. Like, I watch the game, and I I, kind of feel like the sideline reporters generally are just used to take kind of pressure off the color and play-by-play guys. And and they're kind of like fillers in a way. A lot of times they just mention things that are not necessarily memorable, or we already know. Like, somebody got injured, and they got injured in sure. their knee.
2: They're giving updates, yeah. And then yeah. they
1: give you the update. Let's go to the sideline. It's like, yeah, he's got an ankle injury. It's like, yeah, and I knew that because I saw it. And the guy just said that. <laughs> they picked up so, his ankle after the play and yeah. put it in their pocket. Yeah, yeah, So I, I'm, I'm a bit more of a purist about the game. In fact, I don't even like it when they cut to the announcers in the booth. Like, I, I, I love hearing their voice, but I don't need to see them for a segment Do talking to Do you have any to, affinity to
2: the commentators?
1: Yeah, to the actual commentary, not just yeah, yeah. seeing them comment, sure. right? So anyway, so j- okay. just hold that in the background, right? Because th- that's just kind of where, where my starting point is. When I saw this, I was actually very surprised in a way. And my initial thought was, well, maybe she got pushed out. Maybe this view thing kind of triggered something. Maybe NBC pushed her, like whatever. But she was pretty clear to say that that was not she the case. She keeps on saying that,
2: yeah. She said it again in the Tucker Carlson interview. She said it before that, you know, right. that it was her decision.
1: <clears throat> but we also know that like what we're living right now with CNN, all the stuff going on with them, that like these organizations I think are increasingly in a tough spot about like, you know, how much of their – their talents, sort of extracurricular stuff they can, should police, what affects journalistic integrity. There's like all these new questions that they're dealing with. So anyway, but she claims to your point that she wasn't pushed out at all. You've already addressed the whole idea of what her main beefs are about these you know, kind of affinity groups and all that yeah. stuff. I remember the I, other stuff, but
2: these are the ones that I saw yeah sort of
1: so so i'm a cringe on the story i think okay. the story is like kind of a really distorted read and not assuming a positive intent on anything mm-hmm. um you know this idea of affinity groups seems like it's a personal thing for her in the sense that her son's best friend was like no longer her son's right, best right. friend and she attributes it to that and you know she quotes like martin luther king and saying about the, co- the character and content of your character is more important than the color of your skin and all this stuff and says that it breaks our heart, that their you know colors are kind of defining characteristic and all that stuff and and her appeal that we should look for commonalities in human beings, mm-hmm. uh, not necessarily with just human beings that, that look like us, all that stuff to me seems you know pretty reasonable here 's where I think that she runs a foul, and the thing of it is it 's part of the to my it 's like a byproduct of being a sideline reporter. <laughs> you have four seconds to talk, uh-huh. and it's a package. They already know what you're going to say. It's going to be like, yeah, his ankle is still injured, right? Right. She's not a very elegant
2: speaker. Is what? Oh, it, interesting. Like she doesn't actually convey. That's interesting. so interesting. That, that would be your take on someone that basically does that for a living. I know. That's but 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 look at the
1: context of what she does. This is my point. If she was a color oh, commentary at a that, game, right? huh? Yeah, maybe she would, maybe yeah, she yeah. would have uh, m- you know more more of that kind of skill. I, I kind of view her as this sort of like everyday person who defines himself, herself as a centrist by the way that's in that in that same right. Tucker Carlson uh, um, you know issue she said that but when she talks about colorblindness right when she talks about these things these are to my mind just the byproduct of somebody who doesn't really understand their own position right mm-hmm. you and I have talked about this whole colorblindness thing before in the past way back right so like my whole thing is that I think that that's just total nonsense this right. colorblindness I think that it should be this idea of colorfulness, right? It's like, yes, of course we're different. There's beauty in all these cultures and races and ethnicities, and we should celebrate that stuff and look at how we're we're a human family together. But this idea of like, I just don't see it, it doesn't matter, it puts you in this camp of really dismissing, even if it's unintentional, dismissing all of the things that people are feeling, et cetera. I don't agree with affinity groups, at least as she described it, but I can see how somebody listening to that is like, he, he just hears a, a white lady who's never walked a mile in my
2: shoes telling right. me that my skin has no bearing on my existence. Right. I and mean, we just know that that's not the case. So yeah, especially someone that never has had to deal with that, right? He's yeah. never had to have the consequences of because of how she looks, anyone yeah. treats her any differently.
1: Exactly. But I, but I think this piece. I mean, the, yeah, the, the, the piece It's, just, was, it's, yeah. it's like I, I was I was channeling you in my brain with like settle settle <laughs>
2: because it was just it was hot emotionally. Yeah, and it was. And I think it, it was, was very emotionally pleasure. charged. Obviously, look, these these are opinion pieces, right? But frankly, I I kind of like, you know, I really enjoyed these these last these two couple of opinion pieces that we looked at because it gives you a very. You should read them as exactly what they are, which is a perspective, an opinion, a biased view on on a specific issue. Yeah, and and the more you kind of read it, like the more I kind of maybe like pause, like huh, how much would I if I was talking about this like cold, how much would I use kind of the same kind of language, right? And and it sort of makes you rethink how you present issues and how you think about issues, you know. And not giving things like the the benefit of the doubt. I, I, look, I'm with you in the same. I had a sort of similar response when I, I think when I hear her speak about the the, the issue with with her with her children and so idea that skin color doesn't matter in this country. Um, I think there's a difference between what we aspire to do or aspire to be or sh- should aspire to be as a country versus what the reality is right now. Um, very random. Uh, example: I was recently on a on a board meeting, as as you know, you know one of the one of the boards that I'm part of is Girl Rising, right? And we were having, having a conversation around vision and mission, and there's some discussion there. And the way that I describe vision, um, let's see if you agree with me. I was like, look, I, to me, when, the way that I've sort of learned what a vision should be for a company is like this is the the end state that we're hoping to one day achieve or where a company no longer matters mm-hmm. or where we've ach- we've done it, we should no longer exist because whatever we're looking to do, that's has been achieved. And I feel the like- The mission th- has been accomplished. The mission has been- But now, now between vision and mission, the mission is the how we're going to go about doing that, right? So the
1: vision right. would be like- No, no, but I'm saying the vision
2: could be, another way to say vision could be that the mission has been accomplished. Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. exactly, right? So so think about that way. So I almost think this idea of that skin color doesn't matter and it should be all based on your character- that should be the vision that all of us have, that we get to a point where it really is sort of secondary to the conversation. But when you treat that vision, future-looking you know, looking vision, as if that somehow is the current reality, it's just not the case. Yeah. And I think when you're not that, you have to be even more sensitive to those to those issues. Because I will say the same thing. I've been, re- I've been listening to a really interesting podcast. Um, it's called The Trojan Horse, Horse Letter. Did you hear about this? No. There was a controversy that happened like back in 2013 in, uh, in England where this, this letter was sent to this education board saying that there was this plot by Muslims to take over the education programs. And it was basically pointing to this one school where there was a primary, primarily Muslim school, public school. And they made all these changes. All of a sudden, school went from like really poor performing. I think it was was like really, really bad. It was like only like 30% of students were passing to like 70%. I mean, they did like massive changes. But they also started to recognize a lot more of their faith as part of what they do. And this whole – it's a really interesting story, right? But uh, the thing about that that I would find really interesting is the perspective, hearing it because it's done from the perspective of these two reporters. One kid who literally is his very first – it was his thesis in college, and it's his very first reporting piece that he's been working on. And another one like is much more seasoned. Kind of a, a reporter that is working with them, right? The more seasoned guy is a British, or maybe he's not be British, but it a, a white dude, right? Mm-hmm. And the, the the guy that's a you know recent student, he's also Muslim, and his view of all these things is just like he just can, he gets so angry, right? When he when he's the more he's uncovering how much basically BS happened in the story, how much biases and racism kind of fed into this 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 letter that even from the beginning people thought it was fake but it was the kind of thing like even though it's fake we're gonna we're gonna pursue it anyways because just the thought that there's maybe this muslim plot to take over this country we can't let that without being investigated even though everyone everyone kind of thought it was fake to begin with Mm -hmm. right and 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 when he points to all of the the issues that are happening where people have these really bad biases against people that are Muslim or just other religions. And for things and practices that if they were a Christian in that setting would be like, oh, it's not a big deal. Oh, you you pray you, you want to do a prayer in your school. Okay. But all of a sudden you're doing one that looks different. And it's like that looks very different. So I think for me, like when I think about that, that's a chance scenario, like I don't think about it enough in those cases, right? Not even when we think about religious freedom, that there's certain things like Christianity that are just more familiar to me. And if I see that it's not a big deal. It's like this kind of thing that I grew up doing, seeing, et cetera. Maybe some other religion that do something different. And I would have maybe a very different kind of take. Kind of different take. But to say that religious expression doesn't matter. Like, we all just see this. It's all treated the same way. That's just not true. That's an interesting analogy because,
1: yeah, you could use the same argument there. And it's like, you know, you could say, you know, your faith doesn't matter. We shouldn't have faith be part of the experience or whatever. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a fine line between this argument and that argument. Sure. And I know that if you asked her that, she'd probably say, no, I didn't mean that. But it's, it's interesting how, how often it yeah, can come it, up in it this Yeah, think about, it,
2: about that, right? That I'm not sensitive. I'm on the other side of that conversation. Yeah, I get it. Because if it's, if it's Christian, like, ah, yeah, that's cool. And I don't think of it as something that you know. We the other day I was having lunch with my daughter, and always uh, tell her to pray before we eat, and and she prayed. And then another like this this guy who obviously been in the military had a military hat on. She's around, and said, "Hey, good job in having your daughter pray." Mm-hmm. And like it didn't even dawn on me that anyone else is looking at oh, what we're yeah. doing, Absolutely. right? Absolutely, one way or the I get other. that all the time in restaurants. Yeah, one by way, the way or the other. Like I wasn't like I wasn't doing it for anyone. No, of, it course, was just, of but, course, yeah. But it's somebody who acknowledges, but, what, you but did. what? But what if we were Muslim? Yeah, like what we get the same. Uh, hey, good job for praying for you. Right. Maybe it, it probably depends probably on how not. you did
1: it. If you got down and bowed toward Mecca, they probably would say, uh, "Hey, you know, it's like right." It's, going that's on? my point. Yeah, that's my
2: point. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. My yeah. Point. So anyway, so when I see this, I think there's a lot there here. Mm. I feel there's a little bit of naive sort of perspective, and um, the whole Colin Kaepernick thing. I, 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 it is that was probably to me the most surprising to hear her have that kind of take. Being in the NFL, being so close there, it's like you're almost denying that there is this. It's literally, especially at the same time where it's being sued for criminal you know discriminate for racial discrimination um and a class action suit and as Jermon, they the whole thing. Like, no, no, no. If you want to be there, he would be there. It's not, yeah. it's not really a problem. I, I don't understand her position there. I maybe she needs to explain it more. I don't know. Yeah, and I definitely disagree with the notion that, that what happened to
1: Colin Kaepernick was strictly a business decision. I don't think, frankly, that that really factored into it at any point until maybe much later when he yeah, decided, maybe much later. hey, I'm not even going to go back. Now i got to figure out what my
2: business is going to be. Maybe at later that point. Later on, I could see that argument. Yeah. Uh, because you can make arguments that, has he done enough to try to get back in the league when, when given the opportunity? Maybe. But I also think that you get wrong enough times that you're also going to be a little bit more sensitive. So like, hey, wait a minute. We're... You know, i'm going to do my part, but I'm also not going to yeah. tap dance my way to getting people to let me go you know get back into the league now, The
1: Kaepernick thing for me is really simple. You have a person who uh decided to demonstrate in his own way and protest in his own way something he deeply felt without agreeing or disagreeing with it. A person could say that he was doing that that create very no- that that made a lot of noise for the n f l sure noise they didn't want they't they like they didn't like. And the fan, the noise coming from the fans, a lot, a big portion of them, that just became too hot to handle relative to the option of keeping him on board, and that played a significant factor. There's no way that it was just a business decision. Yeah, that's yeah. just wrong. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, sorry, you're you're the one. No, so that's share. it. So
2: yeah. yeah, I'm I'm actually cringe on the. I guess I would be cringe on the on the on the story. Yeah, me too. The way it's written as an opinion piece. But I would agree more than not, at least on the points that we highlighted. Where I, I do think that she it has, she misses the point a little bit, and she's come Unfortunately, unfortunately I think what it does, it uh, it plays well for those that want to push that kind of narrative, but it doesn't help anyone get closer and actually seeing each other's point of view.
1: I see a foundation or a Fox News uh, recurring guest slot oh, for sure. Michelle Tafoya yeah, yeah. yeah. in her future because, and, by, uh, and I always
2: like for Michelle Tafoya. like I, you know. Yeah, I, I so guess my fo- only. Rebuttal to what you said about like them just kind of saying the obvious being filler is that there are certain silent reporters where they just seem to have a better relationship with athletes. Sure. Where they just you can see that there is a little bit of… Uh, like of, Aaron, what's her name? Aaron uh, yeah. Andrews, I think is her name. Yeah, Aaron yeah, Andrews. Yeah, 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 yeah. So when you see some of them speak, you can see that there is… And look, even Michelle Tafoya, when she was interviewing Aaron Donald after the, the Super Bowl, he was like full on crying. Yeah. And maybe he would have been doing that with he, anyone. He would have, probably would have. He was so emotional. He right, basically guy. ignored
1: her for that whole thing. But, but yeah. it was.
2: But I thought it was. It was good. Uh, frankly, what I actually thought more with her is not because getting pushed out because of political views, but like, and I to say, but just getting older. Like yeah. at some point say, hey, we gotta start thinking about transition plans. We gotta start thinking about, and that is true. When you have like at an like,
1: Andrews, who's much more of a peer to these players, and you have Michelle Tafoya, who looks like she's a you know like at the orange slices at the kids' game. You know, it's kind of what it felt like. I mean, it's seeing like her.
2: you know, people they're talking to their grandmother. That's yeah. that's what it is. I yeah. mean, there's now multiple generations of difference between these players and and her. I, I actually think that may have played more, and it could be the The, the time I think with Michelle, like, hey, listen. We know at some point we're gonna have to like so let's let's just let's just plan on it together. Yeah, let's make it really yeah. mutual. We love you, yeah. you know that. Right. We got to get opportunities to some of these up and coming folks. So what you're saying is ageism, not uh, not political that's ideology description. What, d- honestly, that's what I thought. That's what I thought of, and and I think if it was already planned that she was gonna end it at the end of the year, I could see her also saying, okay, well in that case, I'm not gonna hold back on saying what I really feel about some sure. of these things now. Sure, that was my.
1: All right, my Michelle. We'll
2: see you again next time on whatever show you end up on. Uh so yeah, so next topic, uh, topic: Courage or Cringe? Biden's homeless czar will only worsen nation's crisis. Love that title. Great, great title. So this was the second opinion piece that we saw, but now on Fox News by Jason Rants. But wait, is that his last name? Real last name, or is that that's that's hilarious? Jason Rants. Yeah. Rance. yeah. <laughs> That's the guy that knew what his what his, what his job was going to be since he was a little kid. Right? Look, if you start the podcast or the blog, you already have the name. You're in so the name, even worry right? About it. Uh, which, by the way, began in the following manner, which I loved. The Biden administration has a new homeless czar. Homelessness czar. Get ready for a woke approach to a crisis that will only lead to more homeless suffering on our streets. While wasting billions more on a strategy that doesn't work, mm. like tell me how you really feel, buddy.
1: <laughs> Talk about the evolution the way, in, of a
2: brand, and, I mean, and we'll... in this and in this piece, Charlie, I really would love for you to, as you think about this. I really wanted to get your take on his take on the policies uh, yeah, that he yeah, has yeah, issued yeah, with, because yeah, 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 you're yeah. way closer to this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, mean, I, have, I have opinions, of course, but I would love for you to like, kind of break it down a little bit. I'll give us. it a shot, my friend. Tell me what you think. Um, so obviously this piece, you know, as I laid out in a very mm-hmm. um, you know, nuanced manner, President Biden has placed Jeff Olivet as the executive director of the U.S. Interagency Inter- Inter- Council of Homelessness. Now, in terms of Jeff Olivet, as the piece mentioned, he was the co-founder before this of Racial Equity Partners, mm-hmm. uh, has also worked in nonprofit and for-profit sectors, including a focus on homelessness, racial justice, affordable housing, public health, HIV, and behavioral healthcare for more than 25 years. Now, the piece basically lays out a bunch of issues that he has, both with him and the policies, right? So first, because Olivet has actually been working on trying to eradicate homelessness over the last two decades... Basically, said, look, it's, it says is it exactly what makes him part of the same homeless homelessness complex and part of the problem, mm, right? Mm. Um, it also accuses him of only viewing homelessness through a critical race theory and social justice lens, mm-hmm. right? And I think part of it obviously comes because he was co-founder of this of this agency. Uh, so therefore, they claim, or at least the piece claims, that his focus is primarily on the black community. But mostly because Democrats need to need them to vote. It mm-hmm. <laughs> was the other 3D argument. Three D chess, uh, yeah. and then the piece also raises issues with a housing first strategy, and I really want you to talk to you about about mm-hmm. the housing first strategy mm-hmm. as in a way sort of facilitating drug use, yeah, and destroying self sufficiency. Basically, it paints housing first as a money pit and create a never ending you know reliance on government. Right? Yeah. Now, in in terms of what the piece would say uh, would be the right approach, so I thought it was kind of interesting. The author wrote. A better plan provides housing contingent on one's willingness to participate in intense wraparound services. In my view, the root cause of homelessness isn't racism at all. It is often a result of addiction and or mental illness. Mm -hmm. Eliminate so-called systematic racism and the heroin addict will still look for ways to feed their addiction instead of learning skills, getting a job and becoming self-sufficient. I thought it was relevant also to look at what the stats are. And we've talked about these before, but I just, just pulled it up. And I couldn't find anything more recent than... What was reported in twenty twenty, which is actually twenty nineteen data, mm-hmm. right? So, but it said, look, as it relates to homeless people in the U.S., uh, about forty percent of them were black. Except for chron- chronically homeless people, uh, about forty eight percent were white, uh, Latino about twenty two percent, and I, I, didn't, I didn't have the Asian number, but it's a really small number. On the black, by the way, as it relates to homeless families, their uh, black homeless families about fifty two percent, so more than half of of, the, of of families that are homeless are black.
1: Yeah, there's a ton here.
2: A lot, right? Um, So Courage or Cringe, and by the way, when you think about population, about 13%, obviously massive, massive uh, over-index, Over-index, yeah. Mm -hmm. So Courage or Cringe, opinion piece rightly calls out the leftist bureaucrat for pushing failed homelessness policies. Or when being black makes you three times more likely to be homeless, there may be a systematic problem. Oh, folks, past, talking past
1: each other. It's really interesting. So so yeah, try to, look, obviously yeah.
2: we can talk about the courage and courage on the piece, but I really want to get your perspective on the actual policies sure. that, that are mentioned here. Well, I think I'll, really I'll, interesting. I'll do both. So okay. I'm a cringe on the piece.
1: Okay. Um, and then I'll, I'll, I'll try to answer your question. So first of all, let's not avoid the deep irony of the name, right? It's beca- the homelessness czar. Because anybody who knows their history <clears throat> excuse me, knows that a czar is an emperor, right? a person of tremendous wealth and power right. and nobility. And it, this is the person who is the homelessness emperor and rich noble. right? By, by
2: the so, way, that's not his actual title. That's, that's what this guy gives him as a title, right? No, no, I know. But
1: we, by the way, it's not just him. We have czars for everything. Kamala was the homeless czar, and then in other administrations, you've had czars for health <laughs> and all kinds of... I just think it's really interesting to use right. that, that the, term. the word czar. When you look it up in the dictionary, now there's like a definition for which is like a high-ranking official post, <laughs> but like that one got started like in the eighties, uh, and this word funny. has been kicking around for quite a while. So anyway, but let's put that irony slightly aside. Look, here's—I think this gets at the heart of what you wanted to, you know, have me share. And I think the insight for me is that from experience working in this for twenty-plus years, mm-hmm. homelessness is not something to be eradicated. Okay, it's not a pest infestation. It's not an oil spill. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's something to be. Healed. Mm-hmm. That's the core insight. Okay. okay. The czar. Uh, what's his name again? Just forgot it. Uh, uh, his name is uh, Olivet. His last name Jeff. Olivet. Jeff. Olivet. The czar seems to think that the cause of the problem is systemic racism. Mm-hmm. The author of this piece thinks that that the cause of the problem is drugs and mental health. Right. Okay. Of course, the talking past each other is that they're both true, right? Mm-hmm. In a way. Um, but they're tangential to what the real issue, right? They're talking past each other. The real issue in my experience working in this for 20 years is broken community networks. And if there is – an, and that community is, yes, you're, it starts with your family and it goes out to the broader community, the people that you have living around you. Mm-hmm. But it's basically – actually, you've used the phrase about kind of like when the safety net breaks. Mm-hmm. It's, that's what I mean. It's yeah, a, yeah. like it's a break in that, right? And its devastation you know, has start, ha, has been going on for quite a while, especially in the last couple of generations. If there is an unpopular truth to mention, because he talks about here's the unpopular truth, right? If there is an unpopular truth in my experience, especially with the American black family, is the amount of kids who start from the standpoint of the family network being um, impacted, right? So 70% yeah. of black kids, 70% grow up without one or both of their parents. In 1960, Jesus, that number was 22%. Yeah. So from 22 to 70%, it's more than tripled in two generations. And more than 40% of Latino kids today, by the way, fall into that same category. And we, and we also know that about 80% of women who experience homelessness were sexually abused as children, right? So you have this like... Really early, broken network, broken community—you know—all these different things that create the little gaps that then people fall into, right? But, now, but even yeah. in those stats, Charlie, because
2: yeah. I think that's that's you're absolutely right, and obviously the, the fact that these some of these kids are not just living growing up in a single parent household, but probably very likely in a single parent household that doesn't actually have any interaction at all with the other parent. Yes, correct. Right? Uh, because maybe I'm a little sensitive, but I could also make the argument like, hey, just because. No, family of course, are not, are yeah, 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 not together. Yeah, yeah, there's a difference when both parents are very involved, and that's that's not what you're talking about. Yeah, and correlation is but, not causation, right? So we yeah, remember but when that. you go when you go to the but but the part that I that I find interesting, even in that comment, yeah, when you start asking the question, but but why is that case? Why is it that certain communities, in this case specifically black communities, seem to be that's way way over indexed on this, yeah. right? Then you do have to think about. Sort of the infusion of drugs from these communities, uh, you know, police policy, S- we talked about criminal racism. justice right, reform, sure. right? There's all these elements that add to this of that only course. sort of magnify Correct. some and, of some of these issues. M- right? And my
1: argument is not that, that those things don't exist. I like I said, both of them are true. The right. challenge is what's the genesis? What's the origin? Why what's the thing to solve if there Got is it. something? And so my standpoint is mm-hmm that it's really about solving that network issue, solving that community issue, yeah. solving that relationship issue, and healing homelessness, not looking to treat it like it's an oil spill, which I think is oftentimes how we, how we, do, how we deal with right. this stuff. And, and, and the stats also, just really quickly on the issue of drug use and mental illness, the statistics on that are actually pretty interesting and very clear that even though there is mental illness, I think in, in using Los Angeles as an example, 20% of the homeless population, so about one out of five, have a, um, you know, a verifiable uh, mental issue, whether that is depression or, uh, you know, schizophrenia right. or whatever it is. So it's not an insignificant number, one out of five. However, the being homeless creates... Yeah. Mental issues. I, I run. I work with people that have, you know, yeah, here's
2: the stress of being on the street. The streets stress, and having PTSD. To like, yeah, I mean, sure. it's like,
1: you know, after a while, man, look, I don't know that I wouldn't be talking to a light pole if that's the only person that I can talk to that isn't going to kick my ass or steal something from me. Like, you know, it, it'll do the number yeah. to you, right? Yeah. So, you know, my my personal experience and my personal philosophy on this is small local solutions that accompany those who are experiencing homelessness and advocates for them, provides them opportunities, and places where the house and the unhouse can actually interact and get to know one another a little bit. Mm-hmm. I don't think transactional solutions work. Mm-hmm. And I don't and I'm not a big fan of kind of big, you know, kind of government solves for the solution beyond the kind of universal things we all need, right? So social security, right. those kind of services, I think that those are good. So at the end of the day, I'm cringe on the piece because it's a very narrow, un- Un, like uninformed um, approach that has some truth in it, but right. it's definitely not the fullness of the truth. And neither is the peace, right? The, the, I'm sorry, neither is the czar's position. The czar's position is like, look, once we figure out how to treat, you know, black people with respect, this will
2: all be solved. It's like, n- no, dude, that's, right, just right, not, right. that's just not it. What, what, what are your thoughts, Charlie, about the housing first strategy? Because it, go, it goes on length talking about all of its issues with this. And I, I've, I've heard different perspectives around this. Um, but I'm curious on your take of that. You,
1: you and I both met Alan Graham in Austin, mm-hmm. who's a, the pi- a pioneer of a tiny home village outside in the outskirts of Austin, who's been su- super successful. In fact, I think they've now gotten an expansion grant from the city of Austin to add like 1,400 more homes. Mm-hmm. And I would answer a kind of variation of what he would answer, which is the house by itself, the housing first, If that's the only thing, is actually not the solution. And I've seen this in my own life, right? Putting people – I'll just give you one example. There's been tragic examples, which we've maybe touched on in in the past, where people get housed and then they kill themselves or they overdose or whatever it may be. So they're on the street, they're, quote-unquote, fine, i.e., they're alive, and then they get put in housing and they're dead or they're in the hospital. But aside from that, here's a real example. We recently housed a family of four—I'm sorry, five. One, a mom, four kids, okay? Mm-hmm. They have nothing to worry about. Housing is taken care of, right? Mm-hmm. But inevitably, Jesus, after two, three weeks of this, then we start getting the texts of, like, I'm really depressed. I really need somebody to talk to. Like, I, I have all these things that I haven't addressed, right? This weekend— Uh, To another family, we went and we spent, I think it was like five hours Mm -hmm. with this woman who we've known for three years, who's never really opened up to us about what her story actually is. Now, she's housed, but she was living on the street with her children. Um, It's a process, and people feel... That you know, it, it takes some time, but it's in that sharing and it's in that relationship with somebody that you really get at the heart of what right. is actually going on here. It's not just the house. So if what you're asking me about housing first is let's figure out how to build a billion more tiny homes and just put people in here and that's what we're going to do. I disagree well, with that. That
2: would be a housing only. But, but I think at least my understanding of what housing first strategy means that exactly that, which is first step in a multi-step process. Yeah. I think the issue that I've heard – it's actually a great podcast that I was – I think I was telling you this. I think it's called Broken Paradise. Uh, is by LAS Studio. Yeah. Uh, it's only like a three-part you know, podcast. And the whole podcast is about this development project that this this guy was trying to build for – basically for for housing the homeless. Um, and it was – I forgot where it was. Like in Pomona or something like that, right? And yeah. the whole story is about him trying to get this, this, this lot approved and the amount of just – Crap that he goes through, and the vileness of 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 the of the people that live in this community Mm -hmm. going after them. You know, I remember one of the episodes talks about what they did is they organized a tour into other housing communities so they can see like, listen, like if you give people housing, if you sit right structured, like these become they're part of your community, like it could work very well. And you had, of course, in the group we have one person that is like recording everything, putting everything on you know (laughs) social media. Right. And one of the questions they were all really upset about is like, well, these people pay rent. And mm-hmm. like, yeah, we they, we actually have every person here, you know, pay a, a certain percentage of rent, yeah, whatever it was, important. right? It's important. It's not the full amount, it's some amount. So yeah, but do do any of them have a, any kind of medical disabilities that that helps them get money to pay rent? Like, yeah, some do have medical disabilities. Yeah, but then then they got that from from doing drugs. So then, so we're basically right. saying you do drugs, you right. and they're like, okay, like yeah. not that. It's like, well, what's the requirement to so getting here? Like, well, being being out, you know, being being on the streets, so I could just do it. Like, well, if you decide to go live on the street. Then you for can avail, a year, your, avail yourself for a service, year. Yeah. Deal with all the mental stress, all the issues. Then we can talk about you possibly being like, do you really want that? To yeah. Lose everything you have in your life, right? Yeah. No. And, and and it was like oh, this, is like one thing after another. And one of the big things that people were were basically had an issue with is of Like, well, are you testing people for, for for drug use? Are you forcing them to get into a rehab program? And they're like, no, we don't do that. I said, well, we actually do is that we have community guidelines that they have to live up to. It's just like community first alone. That's thing. right. So yeah. and if they don't live up to the community guidelines, then they can't be here. So so anyone could just be shooting up in their apartment like I mean, technically yes, and that by the way, saying that like kills the whole thing. But this idea that cuz people are very hung up on that and I'm curious in your perspective on that because that's a very it's a very shared POV that people see because the narrative is they're they're all crazy, they're all doing drugs. Now they get a free apartment. Now they get to do same doing same drugs. Now, but now in this apartment, we're making it more comfortable for people to do, to do drugs. Why are we doing that? Yeah. And this idea that we're not going to get people tested, that we're not going to get them into a rehab program as a requirement. And I'm sure you've heard his argument as well. Of course. How do you?
1: How do you? I mean, I go back to the how do you pr- respond to that? How do you think about that? I go back to the principle of, um, you know, this isn't something to to really be solved in that way. It's not a box you're ticking. It's a person that requires healing, and that takes time. And you have to meet people where they are, right. and you have to show them the way. That's the whole definition of accompaniment, right? So you have to do that, and it takes work. Just going back to what you said about this view of housing first, it's not just the house. I agree with you. In fact, the author of the piece even makes a claim that you need wraparound services and all that kind of stuff. But it's the ideology that this is a service, that this is a, you know, it's, it's a tool, it's right. a resource, is still transactional. And that's the issue. That's the, that's the core issue right. is the transactions like, oh, well, they have the services and you can get this and you can get that. Dude, I've sat with people, okay, right. trying to get them their benefits, okay? The sea of nonsense that they have to walk through, the bureaucracy. And what makes it worse than that, Jesus, is the person that they're sitting across from them is just doing a job half the time. Yeah. And it's like – so you could throw – They're not vested in the – They're not. And 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 I don't want to smear everybody who works at this because there's very lovely people that do. But by and large, if that's the angle, like let's find the tool, let's check the box, let's give the resource, let's do the wraparound
2: service – right. And, it's and, an extension of the and, other and thing. And I think that's the thing where, you know, going back to our visit to Community First out in Austin, it feel like they've, they've gone that part much, much better of really orienting around relationships between individuals that all care because they all live there. They're like all part of this community, even the whole idea of having people interact with each other as a way to keep each other, like have more accompaniment between people. Like remember the one thing you talked about like hey we see people every day because we we have to interact with each other so if it's been a couple of days we know something's wrong that's right and that's you that go then, now they know something's wrong someone knock on that's it's, right it's a very different than then is there a tool or a resource right, available right, for right. you and um obviously the the question is how do you scale that listen uh, look for me it was I was cringe on the piece um because I did I did definitely think it was it was <laughs> it was so biased and it's sort of uh, all of his position around it. And I think, sort of similar to the, to the Michelle Tafoya one, when you say that when you're talking about black people, being, three, being black being, makes you three times more likely to be homeless, just based on the stats, there's something to it. Like, you can't just tell me that there is no systematic issue. Now, to the point is, like, if you only do that, are you really solving for the for this whole issue? Yeah, that, that's fair. But I think whenever you you have a kind of positioning that this is one this I put it also in the colorblind kind of spectrum. And I love the idea They say, What about Asian homeless people? It literally said it in the piece. I'm like, really? Yeah, yeah. Chew gum uh, and walk. Yeah, at the same exactly. Time. Like, buddy, come on now. Um, but any case, so so that's so that's why I'm also I'm also cringe on the piece. Nice. Okay. All right. So uh, our last courage or cringe billionaire Carl Icahn targets McDonald's over pig welfare. It's a great headline. That's a great headline. Yeah. So, Carl Icahn is a legendary investor that is known for his aggressive campaigns in trying to take over or shake up corporations. Apparently, he set a new site on his latest target, um, McDonald's and its pig problem. Uh, Who even knew they had one? Yeah, I didn't know they had that one, <laughs> but apparently they do. Uh, but so, this is so for those that may not know, he is actually the real life inspiration for Gordon Gecko, right? I didn't know the, that, by the way. Yeah, so I read so that the, piece. The, the fictional investment banker of the movie Wall Street, great right? Great movie. Um, and a couple of years ago, not only did he go after the CEO, but try to replace the entire board of directors for Occidental Petroleum. But he's done as much as a bunch of different times, like a list like of companies that he goes in and
1: can I, can creates I can,
2: major havoc. Can I just make one quick comment? Yes. Like, I mean,
1: what kind of personality do you have? We were talking about earlier of this, like, you know, kind of like uh, – Whatever it's called, like presidents must have this kind of, uh, you know, depersonalization characteristic that just lets them deal with these complex issues without getting freaked out. But what kind of personality type do you have to have to come into a situation automatically antagonistic, to try to replace the management team and an entire board and know the hassle that that's going to take, right? Right, right, right. Can you imagine that kind of Vietnam to, like, go into? Like, it's yeah, just, yeah, yeah. what kind of, you see know what I'm saying? <laughs>
2: this This guy, I mean, listen, his personality. Like, I was actually looking at his Wikipedia page. To his credit, man, the amount of, of transactions, investments that he's done, yeah, he's been very successful. But, yeah, from a personality standpoint, oh, He also raised the pack. emotional uh, IQ, Ooh. Yeah, very
1: low. He raised another emotional IQ. Uh, Trump is very low on, on, on that kind of, like, empathy,
2: right? And he, yeah. he raised a pack for Trump. Yeah, yeah, no, he's a big supporter, so like, it's, it's really interesting, right? Um, now, according to McDonald's, ICANN had nominated two new directors to his board, right, In which the move related to a narrow issue regarding the company's pork commitment. Now, to this, ICANN said, I really do feel the emotion about these animals and the unnecessary suffering you put them through. A pig has a good brain, and it's a feeling animal, right? So what exactly? So I like, oh, okay, that's I'm not going to speak any of that. What exactly is the issue, right? So, one, he wants McDonald's to require all of his U.S. based pork suppliers to abandon the practice of keeping pigs confined in crates so small that they can't turn around. Yeah, that sounds, sounds pretty, pretty messed up, right? Yeah. And is asking no, sorry, not reasonable. What's happening? Reasonable that you'd want to change it? Correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah it sounds super messed up to have these pigs that can't even move around. Can't even move around, right? He's also asking him to exclusively source from crate-free pork, right? Mm-hmm. So that they don't use any kind of crates. Not just making bigger, but basically not have any kind of any, any kind of uh, crates. Now, back in 2012, McDonald's first promised to phase out the use of crates, also known as gestation stalls uh, for pregnant sows. Sows? Sows. Sows, right? Now they're saying that by the end of 2022, 85% to 90% of its U.S. pork will come from sows that aren't housed in gestation crates, so from these small little crates, and it expects to meet the target of 100% by the end of 2024. Mm-hmm. So I can basically believe they'll that make, McDonald's— They'll
1: make them big enough just so they can turn around. Right. Exactly. <laughs> the, the, the deliver
2: on this is a the, is the thing that, like, yeah, it's probably exactly what it is. Just make it a little bit bigger, right? Uh, I can believe that McDonald's hasn't delivered on its promise. Um, now, what was interesting here, it kind of goes into the, the, the heart of the issue, I think, as well. The company did point out, I mean, McDonald's, that I can—is the majority owner of Viscasi, which makes and supplies packaging for the pork industry. Whoops. But has not publicly called for Viscasi to adopt commitments similar to those McDonald's to McDonald's twenty twelve commitments, right? Hmm. So of course so courage or cringe, legendary investor, a needed voice to push for more responsible food supply chain practices, or it's always about the money, stupid. <laughs>
1: Look uh, look i this uh-huh. is i'm cringe on the article, and frankly, the players uh, involved in it like and i 'll start by saying, and you know this about me I, I I believe in redemption it's never too late for somebody to turn over a new leaf, like totally get that let's right. put that to the side, right, but honestly, in this situation, there's so little credibility. Yeah. That this man has, right? This guy's portfolio in history is rife with stuff that makes you feel that standing on principle may not be his core right. motivation, okay? Not you, still,
2: to... you just feel kind of dirty after a few Yeah,
1: <laughs> right? I mean, did anybody watch Wall Street, right? Right, not, right, right. Not to mention, as you already talked about his current pork related investments right, right? Right, right and the fact also because I also looked at the Wikipedia page there's really no philanthropic activity that he can be linked to that supports the welfare of animals before 2010 right which is kind of the time period when all this went down right yeah. Or started to go down and that's because quote according to Wikipedia he worked with humane society I don't even know what that means and all the other aspects of his philanthropic activity it shows what he's done started yeah. a fund on whatever okay
2: some of these guys are rich enough that they may be anonymous in what they support sure there's that's also, true there's, if that's you want to give them some benefit of the doubt, right? Some of these guys, they don't want to get. I'm, I'm trying, Jesus. I'm, trying. Okay. <laughs> I'm saying, but in terms of if this is a public, you'd want to, you
1: know, right. you'd want to make it public, right? I mean, this guy has a history as a corporate raider. He's invested in casinos, in oil and gas companies, and tried to, you know, basically break them up. He's kind of a garage sale guy, right? That's how they're defined in the, in the movie Wall Street, right? He buys a distressed asset and basically sells it for parts and squeezes the most value out of it. It's not illegal, but. It's not, like, noble either, right, doing this kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Um, I agree with what he claims to want to do with these pigs, right? I, I think that we are stewards of creation. That includes livestock and pigs, and we should treat animals with respect. And that doesn't mean, for the record, that we should all be vegans, but it does mean that we should respect animals that we kill for food, right? So the the, the, the I agree with what his stated objective is. Mm-hmm. I just think that this whole thing to me rings like it's a popular cause celeb where everybody loves animals. This is going to get lots of visibility and put pressure on these guys so that I can get my board members in. So I always think with guys
2: like this, strategy is at the table in every decision oh, oh, that yeah. they make. And so that's why I'm a cringe. Yeah, I give him uh, zero credit. Uh, Carl, Carl, I can uh, – I think his his history kind of speaks for itself and his approach speaks for itself. This is a power move to put pressure, right? He's always like, what is – this is all part of, an, of a broader negotiation that he's trying to get, right, of, of instilling his own people in there and the board and trying to get, um, you know, people to influence the company a lot more. It's so funny, man. I was, I was just talking about this earlier today, um, and I was I was talking about investors, different type of investors, right? And you already you know where I'm going to go with this, which is like if investors that want to invest – because they want to create value, wealth, et cetera. Um, and they're you know, they great, very supportive. And you have investors that want to be operators. And it's that ladder that is always super dangerous, right? Because like, if you want to be operators, great. Then go run a company, right? But if you want to invest, then do that. Then invest and then also empower the teams to make decisions. And if they're not the right team, change them. That's fine. Like, I, I don't have an issue with the second part of that, of accountability. But it's this group that wants to go in there and and, and, and meddle <laughs> sure. with things, right? That is yeah. uh, very dangerous, Having said all that, I think that the, this is what kind of thing where, you know, you and I have mentioned before, like even like, you know, even with good intent, bad outcomes come out of time. Sure. This is the one where I think is the opposite. With bad intents, good outcomes come, come, come oh, from it. Oh, okay. interesting. Right. So I don't give him any credit whatsoever of what he's pushing and the why he's doing it. Now, when you look at the issue, I think it's a really interesting one. I think in general, as people, we are really – ignorant as it relates to how our foods get processed. 100%. The way that... 100%. It, across the board, it, it, the, the kind of impact they have on nature, the kind of impact they have on animals across the board. I would say never, almost every single sales sector. And this, in, in some really jaded way, and I'm sure in an extremely self-serving way, is actually bringing light to an issue that I'm sure is much broader for a lot of the players because even in the, in the piece I talked about, McDonald's only represents maybe about 1% of the pork industry in terms of, of its transactions, right? So the other 99%, I'm very curious to what degree they're actually looking at to say, hey, we gotta start start thinking about no longer having like mass farming of of animals, for right? Sure. And what that does for, for these, these poor things and what it does for our own health, frankly, of right? Course. When you think of all, all of these um hormones that they end up injecting and we, we look at chickens now versus what they were, You're you buff. know, 50 years, right? They're like all yoked, right? <laughs> so all of that, I I I sort of while I give him no credit, I think that the cost, once again, bad intent, potential good outcome. And so I like the fact that he's actually bringing this up, mm. even though all the reasons why he's doing it seem very, very wrong. And I like McDonald's getting caught out. I don't, I don't feel bad for McDonald's no. at all. Um, I think they're big enough. And and frankly, I think if McDonald's leans into this more, it becomes a point of differentiation that they can then put pressure on everyone else and say, hey, we're going to lead with this. We're leading with this. We're willing to make the commitments because we care more about – the the health of our of our environment, the health of our employees, and we're going to do our best practice in terms of how we think about our food supply chain, make it part of their brand. And mm-hmm. I think, especially with younger people, we've, we've talked about it before. I think it, it makes it even more appealing. It does. I, I think that in a way, though, what they're trying to get to is almost like a table stake. that should have been done a long time ago. I agree with you, right? So the question becomes, like, if you want to take this and now own it, be like, hey, you know what, uh, you know what, I can. We agree with you. We agree with you back in twenty twelve, that's why we've been working on it. And we're, we're gonna get to this goal, but not only that we're doing th- this next ten things. It took us ten years to make the crates a little bigger. And then we're gonna you know, we're gonna be the leaders, even though one one percent of the industry, we're gonna be the leaders. And then use it as a point of differentiation. Yeah. That's good advice. Hopefully they're listening. So we're cringe (laughs) across
1: the board. Cringe. (laughs) Wow. It was a very pessimistic episode today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the the opinion pieces though. That was my favorite. Very good. We'll come up with a couple other ones next time. Anything else to share, Jesus? No, no. I think that's it. All right. Well, so if you're listening to our voice, that means you should subscribe and share this show, share this episode with somebody you think can benefit from this exotic conversation about pets and sideline reporters and homelessness and other things. And we'll see you again next time on TDR. If you enjoyed this episode of the Diversity Remix, please remember, first of all, to subscribe and help us to spread the word. Tell your friends, family, co-workers, and give us a five-star review. We're available on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you get your listening fix. And lastly, please remember to stop by blackbrown.us, the creator of this podcast, and take a look at our work and our approach at the intersection of diversity and business. The Diversity Remix is produced by Leo Gomez. The Diversity Remix is a production of Black Brown.